You're listening to the Building Stronger Agents podcast, where we interview the top solo agents, team leaders, and brokers across the country to see what makes them thrive in today's market and beyond. Welcome to this edition of the Building Stronger Agents podcast. And today we have one of my friends who I met earlier in the year, Hunter McKay. And Hunter, where are you located? How's it going, Will? I am in Spokane, Washington. Spokane, Washington. So Hunter's, uh, I got in the business when I was 19. Hunter is 28, right? That's correct. And he's been in the business for six years. So you were what, 22, if I can do some basic math. That is correct. Right. So Hunter uh, has a team of 12. Last year, they did about 100 million in sales. He's only 28 years old. And I wanted to get him on here today because there's a lot of young agents and not everyone wants to be a solo agent. There's seems like team building's the big thing. Hunter's had some uh, highs and lows when it comes to teams, mainly around humans. And I'd like to discuss that as well. And uh, But tell us a bit about yourself, Hunter. You got in the business in 2016. You were 22. Obviously, you didn't have a big history before then as an adult. You were only 22. So uh, tell me how you got into the real estate business. I think human capital is always the most uh, challenging thing in any industry, but it's definitely the most challenging thing in real estate too. And uh, I I knew that I could do well because I had watched my parents do uh, really quite well in the business for what they had done. They started- Your parents are real estate agents, right? They are. And uh, a lot of people think, oh, so you just rode your parents' coattails to the top. No, my parents were successful, but they were also successful at burning their company to the ground in 2008. And I mean, like Rome on fire kind of burning. Oh boy. Uh, so I, I think that I really experienced the highs and lows of real estate well before I had any business doing it. And so by the time I was 22, ready to get my license, I already knew what it looked like to become that millionaire agent and to lose everything in a market crash because my parents had been talented, but they didn't hold on to a lot of their wealth because they thought, well, we can make it up later. We can work harder. We can do more. And that's true when a market is going up, but ultimately when a market shifts, you kind of just get the shit kicked out of you if you haven't stored your wealth away like a a well-produced squirrel. And so- Yeah, yeah, good point. um, I I called my dad and I said, hey, I know that you're not in the business anymore, but who do you know that I could go and be their buyer's agent? Because I knew enough that I knew my least favorite part of real estate was generating new business. And I just didn't want to. I wanted to see if I could be successful without having to pick up the phone and dialing. Um, Turns out you can't be. You actually have to pick up the phone. (laughs) I was hoping. (laughs) And for everyone, it doesn't work that way. I thought maybe you, I thought you were getting ready to drop some gold nugget about how you can actually be successful without talking to everybody. I was getting ready to listen to this. (laughs) I I know everyone leans in closer. I know. (laughs) The fucking phone, you know. And so, um, I, I, I've, I have no secret bullet. I joined a, a really high-producing agent. Uh, his name was Colin Kelly, and uh, he was a Remax agent at the time. And he, his model was simple. He lived in Idaho. I lived in Washington. He had a lot of Washington business, and he didn't want to drive over the state line to take care of it. Um, and and no problem for him. I mean, he's been an agent for thirteen years. He deserves to to delineate where he wants to work and when he wants to work. And so I took all of the excess scraps off of his table and I answered my phone at six o'clock in the morning and 11 o'clock at night. And I took every single deal, regardless of if it was a $20,000 mobile home or a $2 million property. And uh, I just, I worked every single hour and I built a nice business. And 
for a while, it was easy for me to not pick up the phone. I could not pick up the phone because he was picking up the phone. He was going out doing the generation. And that's, I think, the piece that a lot of people miss is they look at a 50-50 split, which is what I was on, and they say, wow, why is the broker getting 50%? I'm doing all the work. I'm showing the houses. I'm writing the contracts. I'm taking the phone calls. Well, okay, but you don't see all of the work that it took the broker to get you that lead at all. And I think that that's something that people don't appreciate. And I certainly didn't appreciate it. I thought, wow, I made 250K on a 50-50 split. That means he made 250K. And I quickly tallied up how much my leads did cost that year, how much my assistant he had paid for cost and all of the things that he paid for. And I figured out in my mind, I don't know what the numbers really were, but in my figurative math, he had netted 120K above what I had made, even after paying the expenses. And I thought, a pretty good game. I should go become a team leader. And so here we are six years later, and I can honestly say that team building is for fun. You you don't build teams for money. You know, team builders that are saying they're making tons of money, I I call bullshit. I I think that they're absolutely lying to you. You build a team because you want to leverage your time back. You're actually trading your own money to get some of your time back because you don't want to answer the phone at 11 o'clock at night and 6 a.m. You have broker agents that do that for you. You know, in your area, you have agents and brokers. In our area, we have broker associates, managing brokers and designated brokers. And so so, you're all brokers in Washington? We're all brokers in Washington, but you still send the broker associates to go and do the legwork that the managing broker doesn't want to do. Uh, And so all, all that to say, I've really enjoyed building a team. I think it's great. I love the people that are here around me. Um, but I have a lot more respect today than I did my first year in the business for the team leader that paid all of my expenses because I was getting gross 50% and then I was going to Europe. And you can go to Europe for 30 days on gross 50%. On net 50% after you've paid off all of the expenses and paid the actual brokerage and paid all the marketing and paid for all of the systems that go into cultivating that lead, you don't go to Europe. You you go hire two more agents and figure out how to leverage your time. And so that's what that's what he was doing. It, that's what he tried to do, you know, and I think that both he and I now run much smaller teams with intention. We still do a lot of volume. We're still powerful agents, but uh, back to that point of human capital, it's hard to find really talented individuals that want to work as hard as you need them to work to be successful at real estate. You can always take an upswing market like we've had over the last five years, and you can hire anyone with a pulse and you can make them look successful. You can be more successful and you can generate money. But when the rubber hits the pavement and the market shifts, all of those people fly out of the woodwork and go back and get regular jobs. And people who are left standing are those that are willing to pick up the phone and call people. And over the last two weeks, all I've done is call people and generate from my own SOI. I'm having coffees, I'm having lunches, and I'm saying, come meet with me. Let's talk about the market. Use my information in my brain. Don't use the online resource that I'm then going to buy your information from later. And, right. and I think that's been a really important shift. So going back to the first, like you said, you, you started doing well right away. How, how did that look? Like, how did you do your first year as a team uh, agent? First year. So I was on a 50, 50 split. I think I, like how many houses did you sell? Maybe 60, you know, call, call it 45 on the low end, but I think I probably hit 60 that year. And all uh, those deals were given to you. 
I would say that 90% of them were were given to me. You know, they were purchased leads that I then fielded. And so um, we were a big Zillow team at that point. Zillow mm-hmm. was a lot more fun back then too. You know, you could pay five grand a month buy one whole zip code and be buried in leads, you know? And so the numbers and the metrics are a little bit tougher today than they were back then. Um, but he bought me a couple of zip codes and uh, he paid for the marketing. And then I, anytime my phone would ring, I would have to answer it. And that was kind of the requirement. We had a hundred percent answer rate. There was no, I bought you a lead and you didn't answer your phone. And and you'd be amazed how often that happens. Agents oh, happens get all the time. saying uh, that lead was no good. So I'm probably not going to answer the next one. And it's like, oh, okay, well, you're paying for marketing. Not all of your marketing is going to turn out hundred percent. You still got to answer your phone and do your job every single time. Right. Exactly. So how long did you actually stay on his team? Uh, I think we were just under a year. You know, we were, we were there for about 12 months and there was nothing wrong with the the split. We actually left on really good terms. We're still good friends. Uh, yeah. It was just, in my opinion, it was time for me to go beyond it. I wanted to do my own thing and he wanted to still be in charge of his ship. And, and that, that happens sometimes. Okay. So you left his team. How did you suddenly replace all of the leads he gave you with your own? At that point, I was making enough money uh, and had been and had saved up enough. When I got into the business, I literally had shifted with maybe twenty five dollars in my checking account. I did not. I did not have six months of reserves. I was not ready. Well, you were twenty two. Exactly. I was twenty two. I was living in my mom's basement. I was driving right. a beat car that I had bought from my stepdad. You know, and so right, it was really exactly. easy for me to say, "Yeah, I'm an agent." You know, and so all yeah, nothing to lose. I had nothing to lose. I expanded capital, you know, I expanded my time and I used, you know, Colin's money and I bought leads. And when I left his team, I had plenty of money. I had just made $250,000 that year. It was more money than I ever thought I'd make in a single year in my life. And it was easy for me to turn back around and buy more Zillow leads. And so I built my business for the first couple of years buying leads. And All right. It was it was a great effort at being lazy, you know. I, I, I avoided cold calling, I avoided door knocking, um, but it was a big expense, you know. I had spent the whole first year working really hard, expanding my time, and then I went and spent all of my money trying to replace that. And so, it, I think you know, for all the agents listening, it's about striking that balance. It's about making a choice: how much time versus money do you want in your life, and understanding that there's a direct correlation between those two things. So have you seen a shift in your head in terms of how you wanted to like you how you wanted to evolve beyond just being a, a transactional real estate agent? Yeah, I think that for me it's never been about the transaction. Of course, we like to make money, but coming from a family that has been in real estate for 40 plus years, I've had the privilege of closing some deals for clients that are the great grandchildren of my dad's first clients. You oh, know, wow. and so I remember one particular day, it was an 18 year old girl, do not remember her name. Uh, I remember the family name. Uh, And there are 36 family members that live in houses that were sold to them by members of my family. And all 36 members came to closing and were with her when she was signing those documents. And it was really cool to see four generations, grandparents, grandchildren, parents, uncles, aunts that all live in houses that frankly, none of them really thought that they would ever be able to achieve because this was otherwise a very blue collar family that thought we don't deserve housing. And that's big in our area. We meet a lot of people where they're like, oh, I rent because that's just what my family does. And I go, okay, well, do you have a credit score? And they're like, yeah. And I go, do you have a good job? Yeah. Do you have any debt? No. So why don't you own a home? Let's go take a look and see what you can own. And they're always just flummoxed by how we can put money together. And all of a sudden, they, they're they're a homeowner. And five years later, they have equity. And these are things that, to me, are are way more important than the individual transaction. I've proven that I can go out and from absolutely zero, close 60 deals in a year. But 
Today, running a team of 12 people, I can't buy enough leads to keep them busy, especially not as the market is shifting and Zillow, Realtor.com and OpCity are all freaking out in, in their own offices saying, how do we keep people busy? I can't rely on third-party sources to feed my company. I have to be able to feed my company. And that doesn't happen by buying resources or buying leads. It happens because you took really good care of past clients and you call on them and you say, is there anything that I can solve for you today? And you teach your agents how to fish. Okay. I want to go back a little bit. How far back do we have to go where you, where it was just you as an agent? How long did you work as a solo agent? Mm, probably just 2016 and part of 2017. In 2018, I started bringing on other associates. And how did that look? How did you do it? I was, I was just too busy. I needed someone to just open doors, you know? And so I, I brought on someone that uh, was actually previously a client of mine. Uh, he's actually currently an active fireman and he just wanted a part-time job to help augment his income and help augment his retirement. And he's actually approaching retirement now. He's um, in his fifth year and he retires from the fireman uh, station in October and then he'll be going full-time in real estate. But nice. he's also been one of our most successful agents because I, what I've learned is that the best agents to hire are people who one, already have real estate experience, uh, or come from an industry where they've had high levels of integrity in their job already. And so Doug being a fireman paramedic, it, it doesn't matter if someone doesn't want to participate in his job. His job is to get someone safely out of a burning building without dying. And so that person can be apoplectic, hitting him, pissed off on drugs, and Doug is still going to do Doug's job, period, end of discussion. And at first you think, well, what does that have to do with real estate? Well, I'm sorry, but your grumpy client that doesn't want to participate in a descending market while interest rates are increasing is a grumpy apoplectic on drugs person in a burning building. You have to right. push them forward anyway. And so Doug is great at just taking a client and saying, I see you, I know who you are, and I'm going to take care of you. And that exudes out and people want to listen to him. And so we've hired people from the medical field with really great success. Um, but in the beginning, I was just taking anyone, anyone with a heartbeat that wanted to get a license because the market was moving at such pace that I thought I can train them. Um, we've learned that you can't train integrity, integrity you can't train or drive or drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <that's> <laughs> I remember a conversation that you and I had last year at build actually, where you said, I want them to take off their shoes and I want to see if they have talents. I need to see if they're an Eagle or web feet. And, yeah. Or if they have webbed feet. And, uh, have you ever read a book? written, I think it's by AT&T and their leadership. And it's about uh, judging people and their productivity based on their bird type. No. I'm going to find this book and I'm going to send it to you because they talk about webbed feet versus talons as well. And there are people who are ducks, doves, eagles, and one other thing. And you always want to go after people who are eagles because they will hunt, they have high integrity, and they're going for the kill, but they also take care of their nest. And so you need people that are willing to go out with drive, but are willing to really take care of their community. And you can't train that. You have no. to find and locate that and then cultivate that. My my business coach, who's I've been with him since 2008, and uh, he always says you can't take ducks to eagle school. And I've um, I've got all eagles now, but I've had a couple of dudes in the past that showed up with their Oxford shirt on, and they were talking the talking the talk. And that's when I joked with you last year. I'm like, I should have. You, you got to get them to take their shoes off so you can so see they if they've got talons or web feet, because there's a whole lot of ducks out there acting like eagles. 
And that's what we had. You know, I, I turned around this year and I thought, man, I got a lot of ducks and I don't really want them. And, and I asked them all if they were really committed to, to doing what needed to be done in real estate. And I've learned that you don't have to fire people. You have to ratchet up the integrity level and you have to hold them to account and yeah. they'll work their way out. You know, they weed themselves out. We spend a lot of time addressing issues and we get so focused on the issues that we don't realize that the outcome that we wanted is actually completely pivot the opposite from where we're focusing. And so we dive into issues and go, well, can we solve for the problem? No, actually, you should get focused on the solution. And so if you don't have any business, a duck is going to go, well, the leads are bad. An eagle is going to go, well, I haven't spent enough time calling to stay. And so the eagle is going to go pick up the phone and call. The duck is going to go home and watch Netflix. And make excuses. Yeah. All right. So what have you done differently to have a different outcome in terms of the people on your team? If you were allowing agents to just have a pulse and join, what are you looking at differently now from your perspective as a team leader that's giving you a better outcome in terms of the people on your team? Originally, You've got 12 now. Does your 12 include your admin? It does. Yeah. So I've got, I've got two admin that are in that, but they're fully licensed. And so they could step into production if they needed to. All right. And then you've got 10 agents. Yeah. Okay. And I would say that the biggest shift for me lately has been realizing what type of agent a team atmosphere attracts and trying to figure out if I wanted to be that team atmosphere, because Mm. there's people like Gail DeMarco, for instance, out of uh, Sacramento. And I love Gail because she runs a team that's somewhat similar in size to mine, but the way that she structured it from the beginning was completely different than most other team leaders. And I, I approached it from a mega team aspect where if the disc personality profile was right and they were willing to work full time, our systems should be able to make up for anything that they lacked because we were going to be a training company. And so if they were green, that's okay. We just need to pair them with someone who can mentor them properly. Unfortunately, nowhere in that system are you discovering, do you have a duck or do you have an eagle? Because a disc personality profile might tell you that you have a really high DI, which is going to work well for an agent. But if you have a high DI that's a duck, they're not going to be a good agent. That They should go be an assistant to a high they'll DI. they'll have no hunting skills. They have no hunting skills. They could be a great buyer's assistant. If I needed an agent to drive me around and be my second in command, that high DI duck is actually going to be awesome because they're not going to conflict with me. But that's not what I was doing. I was building a team. And so then we look at, well, what is a team? What kind of people does a team attract? You and I, when we started, we weren't going to go to a team. We were going to go to a solo or a small team producing agent that was going to give us what we needed, period, end of discussion. And if we got too much in our way, we were probably going to leave, right? Yeah. I was always a solo agent. I never did anything with anyone else. Exactly. Then you and I get overtaxed and we get busy and we go, gosh, we need some eagles around. And so we think maybe we'll find some new ducklings and we'll take them to eagle school. Becomes almost impossible to do. And you learn that over time. Then you go eagle hunting. Well, the eagles don't actually want to be on a team because they would rather be on a standard split. They don't want a team split. They might be willing to hang out with you for a year or two while they're getting their wings, but eventually they're going to leave the nest and they're not going to understand why you want them to stay. And there's this big disconnect. We pour into the ducklings. We make them (laughs) eagles. We feel like there should be this loyalty, but they eventually look at it and they go, I've learned. I paid you during the learning. I don't want to pay you, got you, what you needed. what to do. You know, now I want to leave. And so I was caught in that cycle of like, 
how do I actually make Eagles want to hang out at my team? And I realized really about two weeks ago that I was doing it all wrong. And so I pivoted and I, I've realized that now it's not about building a team in the traditional sense where I have to give them leads and they have to give me a portion of the commission. The team that we want, the Eagle team, is one of camaraderie. It's one of joy. It's one of people who choose to be together because they're enlivened by each other's presence. And so I was recruiting people that I was like, I'm going to give you so much support. You're going to just be fluffy pillowcase encased loving goodness. You're going to love real estate. It's going to be so wonderful for you. And I've pivoted completely to I'm spiky. There's no fluffy. I cannot help you make this easy. I can tell you that it's really, really hard. And you probably don't want to work hard enough to be part of this game. But if you actually do want to be part of this game, let me tell you, the outcome on the other end of working really hard is incredible. And right. if you want the shortest path to incredible, I'm pretty confident that I have the shortest path. It's filled with spikes, fire, lava, and a lot of pain. And as long as you're willing to run really fast through that deck, I promise you that I'm a better coach than anyone you're currently talking to. And I know that because I've been successful doing the things that I've coached myself to do. And so I'm not going to tell you to do something theoretically. I'm going to tell you to do something that I just did yesterday that worked. And right. if you do it, it's because it doesn't work in your market. And so we should assess that really quickly and figure out if I'm wrong or you did it wrong. Which one is more likely? Right. Wrapping up immediately, you get better people. You attract eagles. You get a lot less people to say yes to you, but the people that say yes, they're ones that want to fight and they want to go win. And it's worth having them around. And then you just lead them to the successful place. I have a buddy of mine who's incredibly successful. He's a very large mortgage company and he's intolerant, impatient, very empathetic, but no one ever leaves him. And the reason they don't is because he creates such an environment of winning that they know that if they just went out on their own, despite his personality, he's got a good personality, but he doesn't, his BS meter is right, like barely on the ground, but they know that he's just created this environment of uh, low tolerance for mediocrity. He has very high standards. He expects them to but they go along with the program because now they have a better quality of life for themselves and their families. And so they stay. Exactly. I've always said that good is the enemy of great. It's a Jim Collins saying, and people strive for good all the time. And good's actually pretty easy to achieve. But when you're, when you're hanging out at good, you never achieve greatness and greatness is really hard. The, the amount of work that you have to really produce in order to get to that level of excellence is incredibly difficult. And most people don't do it. And the example is like Serena Williams gets paid a gazillion dollars every time she plays tennis. And we think, gosh, wouldn't it be nice to be Serena Williams? But we don't take into account the countless hours that Serena Williams practices. She practices four and a half hours a day minimum every single day. And that's why she gets to be paid like a gazillionaire when she takes the court. It's not for the eight minutes that she's a gazillionaire on the court. It's the four and a half hours a day for the last 35 years that she's committed to her craft. And we have to do that in real estate. Uh, Last week when we were at that event together, uh, who was it that said, if you want to get paid like a, if you want to get paid like a professional athlete, you have to practice like a professional athlete. Yes. Was it Gary Brecca? I don't remember. Yeah, who, I who, think it might have been. But... Yeah, I think that was him. Um, yeah. And then I saw a thing the other day, Hussein, Hussein Bolt, who's got the world record mm-hmm. for the 100 and 200 meter dash. He's from Jamaica. He said that people watch me for nine seconds, but they don't realize the, you know, the, the 10 years of practice that allowed me to run 100 meters in nine seconds. 
Exactly. You know, I, I have a friend who he makes art and my partner doesn't understand art. He's very logical and literal. And so he doesn't understand why I want to spend $4,500 on this little tiny square piece of glass art. And he wishes that it could be made cheaper. And I don't have a problem <laughs> paying for nice art because I can't make it. I know that I can't make it and I can't recreate it. There's one person in the entire world who can make art like this. And he lives here in Spokane and he's fantastic. And we don't pay him for the two and a half hours that he spends making our art piece. We pay him for the fact that he's one of 8 billion people in the world that has spent the time to craft his talent to the stage where he can produce this in two and a half hours. Because right. let me tell you, it would take me the rest of my life to make one painting. And that is worth way more than $4,500 to me to be able to look at that and enjoy it. But and then we'd have to kill you to make it worth anything. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> hey, listen, you're a bright young guy. So if you're a brand new agent and you don't want to be on a team, uh, what, you know, what do you do? If you just want to go out and try to make a living on your own and you don't want to be with somebody else and you're in your 20s, what's your take? Yeah, I think if I was to restart my business right now and I didn't want to be on a team, I would commit to a standard structure where I was doing one TikTok video a day that was geared more towards lifestyle learning about me. There'd be some market updates. There'd be some Taco Tuesdays where we go look at different businesses and we vote on the best tacos, you know, but this is fun. You know, this is getting people to follow you because you're entertaining. I think people miss the point on social media. Often they try to make it informative. Most people don't actually want their social media to be information overload on the daily. They want it to be funny. They want cat memes. They want to be entertained by you. And so entertain them. Then keep them coming back and then do a weekly YouTube video. And the YouTube video is informational. This is not going to be fun. It's going to be funny. It's going to be entertaining, but the focus has to be information. And you can look up uh, living in Dallas or moving to Dallas are two mm -hmm. really great uh, YouTube channels. I think one of them is run by Jake Ender. I might be wrong on that, but both um, have really great uh, info and you could just copy clone their stuff. Um, from there, that's going to give you your base underlying of like, people aware that you're a broker, but now you have to go out and ask for the business. Now, if someone comes and finds you online, you've got some immediate credibility, but it's not going to generate leads in your first six months. And so I see a lot of YouTube influencers coming out and saying, oh, I, I love real estate. Well, you're not being a real estate agent. You're being a YouTube influencer, which is cool, fine. But if you want to be a real estate broker, you actually have to pick up the phone and dial. And so someone might say, well, I don't have anyone to call. Yes, you do. Sit down and make a list. It's called an ABCD list. A list, people who know and love you. These are people you went to high school with, your parents, your parents, friends and family, people who love, breathe and die for you. And they're going to work with you just because you ask. Call them, let them know that you're a broker. And this is the key. Say, even if you're not looking to buy or sell right now, would you be willing to introduce me to one or two people who you think might be in the future? And it doesn't matter if they're buying right now. This is building your database. You got to ask every single person, will you introduce me to two people that you know that you think I could serve in the future? And this is big because you're building a community. You're reaching out to a person saying, I'll take care of your friends. What friends will you give me to take care of? And then they reach out to friends and say, a friend of mine is going to reach out to you. Is that okay? And this all feels really yucky and uncomfortable the first 50 times that you do it because you're not trained to do this as a person. You're not trained to go ask for business. You think, well, I'm good at my job. My friends and family will naturally work with me. <laughs> wrong. wrong, 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 wrong. Never happens. The more happens. successful I get, the less likely my friends and family are to pick up the phone and call me because they think I don't have time for them. Or and they so think you don't need it. Yep, exactly. And so 
call your friends and family and say, I will work harder for you, not just because I'm new and in the business and I need it, but also because I care about you and I love you. Mm -hmm. And the love thing is big. You know, I once heard, actually, it was someone at the Dallas Build Conference. They said, the biggest shift in my business was I I treated every internet lead like it was a sphere of influence lead because leads get sold to, sphere gets loved on. And so figure out how many people you can love today and how many problems you can solve today. And you'll have plenty of money. You'll have plenty of business. Everyone will then start calling you a year in because you're the person that loves everyone and solves problems. What a great reputation. And as long as you have credibility and you show up on time and you don't underpromise and overdeliver. Um, I always say, and I sound like a broken record, I'm a crusty old realtor, 30, 34 years in the business. Um, our business is a real, it's a recession proof business. You know, even during the housing crash, we only lost 20% of the transactions. Mm -hmm. so that means 80% were still going on. But when you lose 20% of the transactions, you typically lose about 40 to 50% of the real estate agents because it imp that 20% impacts them the most. Mm -hmm. So right now during this transition, I think it's more important than ever that we stake our claim, get our arms around our tribe and focus on our relationships and be a freak about it. In the last two weeks, I have requested... 12 different coffee, lunch, or dinner appointments. And they have been for no other reason than because I asked to meet with them to give them love. And all 12 of them have said yes. And a year ago, I don't think I would have gotten that. I think people would have said, no, I'm busy. Cabot next week, call me back. Let's see. And this year, right now, there's enough fear and scarcity mindset that someone reaching out with love is like a light in a dark room. And they're absolutely willing to come meet with you. And then you just have to deliver them to something that they want. And that's our job. That's what we do. If there were no problems to fix or solve, we wouldn't get out of bed and we wouldn't get paid. And so I'm happy about the market shift. We're about to lose a bunch of competition. And it gives me an excellent opportunity to reach out to buyers and sellers that were otherwise stuck over the last three years. You know, I don't know yeah. what your market was like, but in our Same. market... It was awful, you know, and so anyone short of the King Puba of, you know, Saudi Arabia capable of spending all of their money was not buying a house. And so I'm working with people that have next to no money right now. And I'm doing again what I did in 2016. How can I take my real people who are really struggling right now and make them a homeowner, even if it's hard, even if it requires 60 days of credit fixes, even if it requires 14 lunches where I walk them through how to pull their tax transcripts for the 18th time. I will do it because they deserve a house and I would like to get paid for helping them. Right. I hear you, man. And if you want uh, anyone who's listening to this, who is in their twenties, um, handwritten note cards, you cannot underestimate them. If you, because nobody sends handwritten note cards or letters or anything like that anymore. So what we try to do on our team, we try to think about things that other people aren't doing. So if you if you talk to someone on the phone or you have a texting conversation with them or Facebook Messenger conversation and you have any sort of substantive conversation at all, send a handwritten note card with some don't ever ask for referrals on the conversation, but in the handwritten note card, you can say, "Hey Hunter, great chatting with you the other day." Here's a couple of my cards in case you happen to run into anyone. I would really appreciate if you would connect me. If you do, I rely on referrals. Happy face, Will. That's all you got to do. If you send out five of those a day, you'll make a living. Um, bottom line is right now is the time to be building and maintaining your relationships and not letting people forget about you.
I agree. I, I had lunch with an agent yesterday and I asked her, she was starting her business over again after five or six months out because she had just gone through a, a divorce and she just wanted to take some time off to be with her kids. And she looks at me, she goes, you wouldn't believe how hard it is restarting a business after four months gone. It's like, you're just starting over. Yeah. And last year closed, you know, nearly 50 plus transactions. And I said, what are you on track for this year? And she goes, I've closed like five deals. And now that's from not working. And now she's getting back into it. And I said, so what are you doing? And she goes, well, there's only one thing to do. Pick up the phone and you call your sphere. <laughs> and it was just a foregone conclusion for her. And in the last month, she's turned over those five transactions and she's on to better pastures. But any other agent would have looked at it and gone, oh, wow, she's never going to get back in the business. Not a chance. She's already back in the business. That's All she had to do was pick up her phone. Yeah, she's an eagle. She's an right. eagle and she knew that she wanted back in. She was just taking a short vacation. She wishes she had taken a shorter vacation, but now she's made choices and she's ready to go. And there's not a doubt in my mind that this time next year, she's going to be right up at 50 transactions or more. Oh, listen, man, you've been wonderful. I really appreciate every time we have a conversation. You've got a lot of energy and a lot of success for such a young guy. And I don't say that in a patronizing way. I makes me think of me when I was in my 20s. All I did, all I was so full of drive and just wanted to work hard. And I was... In fact, when I was 27, 28, I had, we had our first kid, Adam, he's 26 now. And so I had a, a baby to support as well. So um, this is a great, great business to be in. And um, Ricky Caruth says, it's all about having conversations and staying in touch with people and offering, you never have to ask for anything, just offer them help. Yep. If there are Listen, problems, you will solve them. You will make them a good living. And thank you very much for taking the time today. I know you got a really busy schedule. Thank you, Will. Appreciate your time. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode. Stay tuned because we're going to continue interviewing uh, top agents around the country just like Hunter. I hope you liked this episode of the Building Stronger Agents podcast. Please give us a review and share our show with your friends. We will continue to interview the very best in the business to see what makes them thrive in this market and beyond.